Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. Hi there, folks. How you doing? You look, you're looking good. Will, open up your... Yeah. Good. Uh, this is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. We're going to have fun today. We're going to get real geeky and talk about all kinds of stuff like oxalate. Have you... I know. You wanted to talk about politics, but we're not going to do that. It is June 29th, 2022, and this is OneRadioNetwork.com. If you'd like to join the show, our phone lines are always open. When I pay my bill, 888-663-6386. Email Patrick at OneRadioNetwork.com. I want to introduce the guest to you, our guest this morning, Sally K. Norton, with just a quick story. I'll do it quickly. Um, I'm in excellent health. Been around the bend almost uh, 76 years. Uh, the only trouble is about the last 15 years I don't sleep. So, um, don't sleep. I don't sleep. Yeah, I don't sleep. And, and, you know, I've meditated and done spiritual exercises forever so I can just stop my mind and just... I can just do that. I mean, I've learned how to do it. I've been trained by my spiritual teacher, so it's not a racing mind. So I knew something was up, and I kept looking and asking God the last six months, come on, man, what's up? What, what's, why am I, can't sleep. This is what I do. That's why I talk to God. And uh, I was up in the middle of the night about six weeks ago, three o'clock in the morning. A listener sent me a video with uh, uh, a fellow by the name of Saladino and Sally K. Norton. So I'm sitting there at 3 o'clock in the morning watching this video, and she's talking about oxalates. And I, I, get, I get all into this thing. You know, sometimes you just get mesmerized like a deer in the headlights, and, and I just listened to the entire thing. And for some reason, I knew that this lady knew what she was talking about. Now, I, tell, I don't know how she I knew that, but I know that. I, I can just tell you, she does. So, you know, I just quit eating oxalates. All of a sudden, I tagged on some lectins and stopped eating those the next day, and then I started eating meat, and here I am. So, uh, <laughs> it's probably not the best way to do it, as she'll tell you. You kind of want to, but we'll see. Sally K. Norton is with us. See, so Sally, it is all your fault, girl. Uh, Sally is, uh, has a Bachelor of Science in Nutrition from Cornell University. Oh, that's a pretty swanky nutrition place. Master of Public Health from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She managed a uh, five-year National Institute of Health-funded program at the UNC Medical School, Project educa- uh, Educated Students about Holistic Alternative Integrative Healing, clinical consultant on a team incorporating holistic healing in care plans for critically ill, contributing author and managing editor for a series of monographs on integrating complementary medicine, she has been in the biz for a long time. Miss Norton, thank you for being here. Good morning. You look great. No oxalates for you, hey? No oxalates for me anymore. <laughs> Good morning. What a delight it is to be with you. Oh, thanks. We'll have fun. So so is that how you discovered your oxalate uh, research with sleep for you? Did I hear that on the video? Was it sleep? Yeah, sleep was the big thing for me. I had... Uh-huh. Um, lots of health problems for years. And I landed in a place where I had to quit my career. I had a faculty job here in Richmond at the university medical school here. And I needed major surgery and I couldn't recover from that surgery because I couldn't sleep, but I didn't know I couldn't sleep. I was so out of it. I didn't know I wasn't sleeping all night long. <laughs> it took a sleep study. I mean, sometimes you can really have problems and you have no idea what's wrong with mm-hmm. you. 
you need some help, diagnostic help often. And it took a sleep lab study to find out that my brain was waking up 29 times every hour. Oh, good. 29 times an hour. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. So I maybe got two minutes of sleep, but it's not. <laughs> Anybody knows anything about sleep knows you need a cycle of an hour and a half to get through actual sleep. So without sleeping, I was losing my ability to comprehend and, and wow. stay focused, and read the mail even. It was like my brain was getting so tired, I didn't have the energy to look at the mail anymore. Wow. So um, you started researching and researching, yes. and somehow you got led to the old, this idea called oxalates, which we're going to talk about, right? How did you, did it come to your doorstep like with the New York Times, or how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this is a really hidden, hidden story. So if you've got mystery health problems, very rarely is anyone going to offer you up the oxalate solution, which is too bad. It needs to be on top of our list for anything mysterious, weird, and annoying. We need to be thinking <laughs> oxalate. So maybe we'll change that because I started my real entry point to even thinking about oxalate certainly wasn't Cornell where, we, you know, it was mentioned in little one inch sections in my textbooks that, oh, because of oxalates, you might have less calcium absorption from your food or, you know, it's oxalate avoidance is for people with kidney stones and that's it. And it turns out there's a long history of science and a huge amount of um, information that no one's really put together and none of the textbooks writers have written about. Hmm. So I didn't learn through my education. It was in 2009, I had a bad attack of crotch pain. So I had this I beg your pardon? burning. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> that is not pleasant. Whoa. <laughs> my, my lovely husband, who is great on the computer and the internet, did a Google search right. and found an organization that teaches the low oxalate diet for people with pelvic disorders. It's called the Volvar Pain Foundation. Huh. And they've been teaching about low oxalate diet for crotch and pelvic pain for 26 years. But it made no sense to me, but I was desperate enough to buy all their materials and try to learn it. And in the meantime, I'm growing organic sweet potatoes in my garden, which is a great example of a high oxalate food that is considered benevolent and benign and you can yell all you want of it and it's fine. But, mm. and so I was making breakfast with sweet potatoes <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> And my life was falling apart, and I would never have connected my darling sweet potatoes to sleep disorders, crotch pain, fatigue, back pain, all the stuff that was going on. So uh -huh. I, it was in 2009, and because of my learnedness, I uh, this made no sense to me. You know, the more you know, the less you can learn, because <laughs> right. right. what you know gets in the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I couldn't make sense out of the idea that oxalate was causing pain and, it, and then she the volar pain foundation mentions nothing about several important topics like sleep problems and the fact that a diet that contains foods that are high in oxalate consistently creates a chronic bioaccumulation disorder where you get these oxalates filling up your tissues so oh. you end up with long-term problems that we can talk about later, but none okay. of that, I didn't have that knowledge. So I couldn't make the best use out of that information. And that is the case. Like sometimes when things first get presented to you, they're presented to you, not in the way that's really going to move the lever for you. So I wasn't until I realized I had the sleep disorder. And now at this stage, which is four years after learning about oxalates, 
I at least had this distinction about, I knew when I was eating oxalates for the most part and when I was not. Mm -hmm. And in order to fix the sleep problem, I tried the very last possible desperate thing I could because everybody in the literature says sleep disorders come from toxicity, brain toxicity. Brain toxicity. Mm -hmm. And brain toxicity, according to the medical literature, is primarily from dysbiosis of the gut. Right now, we're all about gut dysbiosis. So now your gut is poisoning your brain, you know, because bad bacteria are producing too many bad chemicals that hurt your nervous system. So I thought I had to fix my gut dysbiosis and my constipation, which had been a long term problem. So I had finally like I've done everything. I know everything. I've been in the field of like holistic (laughs) healing and nutrition forever. Forever. The last thing I hadn't tried was the kiwi diet. (laughs) (laughs) I want to do that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I was doing two kiwis every day this summer of 2013. And what was happening over that summer is I was becoming stiffer and more arthritic and having trouble with yoga practice because I was clearly every yoga class, I was getting less flexible (laughs) (laughs) and my sleep at night, I would lay in bed in pain now. And this is getting to be November. I'm laying in bed in October, November in pain and asking the air in the room and my mind, like, what is going on? Why am I becoming more stiff and more painful? Like all over again, I've already been here. I thought I was past this. And it dawned on me that this kiwi with the oxalate in it was bringing back this rheumatoid and other forms of arthritis that I had in my 20s when I was a vegan. A couple of kiwis could do that. Every day, yeah, a couple of kiwis Every could day. do that. And we'll talk about that as we go. So, continue. Uh, great story. Well, so here I am with my little kiwi desperation program. <laughs> And now, but I thank God for the Volvo Pain Pain Foundation that allowed me to recognize that I was eating oxalate with the kiwis. I was doing it as a sacrifice to the cause Hmm. for the sleep disorder and creating this arthritic problem all over again. And that was a huge moment for me because I had suffered so greatly with with joint pain since I was 12. It was particularly bad in my 20s. I remember at age 19, I didn't have the strength in my fingers to unlock the door. Wow. I was so arthritic. Wow. At 19. At 19. At 19. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it was really cutting like, oh, man, I have this sleep disorder. I need to fix that. But now I can't <laughs> eat oxalates because I have this arthritis. And I was really unhappy. I was angry. Like, why do I have to do this stupid oxalate diet (laughs) for the stupid arthritis? You know, that seemed unfair because how am I going to fix my sleep disorder? Well, I got serious about the low oxalate diet and my sleep disorder clearly slipped away because all of a sudden I'm reading the mail and my brain is functioning within 10 days. Just getting getting off of oxalates did that. It did that. Wow. What year was that? The fall of 2013. 2013. And then mm-hmm. then you spent six years or so researching this oxalate thing. Six years. I mean, how can Pretty there be much that all much? The time. How could there be that much stuff out there? And this is a key question for me. I mean, we've learned so much about people financing studies and, you know, man-made global warming, and they can tell you it's going to, you know, whatever, right? They can tell you anything. They can make it anything. So how do you know as a researcher what you're reading even matters? Do you have to go back and find out who funded the study? 
or there's some studies that are so good that no matter who funds it, tell me, talk about that a little bit, because that's fascinating Oh, this to me. is a great topic, Patrick. You're a genius, you know. That's why it takes six years to know anything. Whoa. Because if you just <laughs> cherry pick your literature and look around for a day and uh -huh. find the articles that confirm what you already think, <laughs> you're nowhere. You have no idea who you're listening to and how off base they are. I have yet to read an article in the medical literature that didn't get at least one detail wrong, hmm. at least one. And so in order to understand oxalates, I've pulled up 22,000 articles in the medical literature and I have followed the chain of who's listening to who and who's repeating who. And wow. I can see this theme of telephone where people repeat stuff that gets repeated a lot. Yes, ma'am. And they don't bother to check the facts. So when you're a real researcher, you go back and you try to find the primary source of where did they get this idea? Where did they get this idea? How did this idea change? Who influenced the change in practice? You know, there's so many angles to this. This is a diamond with many facets when you're really trying to understand a topic, especially one that is so misunderstood by mm. and ignored by our culture and our practice of healthcare. And all of us in the various healthcare fields, whether it's nutrition sciences, toxicology, medicine, clinical practice, medical research, kidney research. Uh, you know, we're a lot of us have been miseducated, and it's very hard to teach people who already think they know stuff and who are very focused on <laughs> producing a career. That's right. <laughs> you know, I love that the idea. It's very hard thing. to teach people who think they know stuff. I, can I use that? I'd like to. Can I quote <laughs> you on that one? But so I've never heard anyone explain this, and that's what really kind of got me all kismet. Uh, uh, with you when I watched that video three o'clock in the morning because you 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 talked a bit about the, how you did the research and I said man I've never heard anybody do the research like that six years looking at one subject oxalates just to figure out what's going I think on. someone could spend a hundred years studying this topic it is fascinating and it connects to Whoa. all these major topics that are going on in healthcare and in science about disease and aging and and what's wrong and what's not working and how our health as a species is falling apart and we're developing all these new autoimmune conditions and all these aches and pains and suffering is becoming more and more normalized. And, you know, the, the core root of that is, you know, this process of us unawarely poisoning ourselves and causing nutrient deficiencies by a culture that's been pushing plants as human foods now for the last four to 600 years and is now succeeding with the internet and modern panic and modern mental illness, we're succeeding in this idea that plants should dominate the human diet, which is not working for us, but we can't see it. And we don't want to see it because we know it's good to eat the vegetables. We just know it, right? We just know it. How can something green like that Cause a cause a problem. You know. Yeah, I've heard comments like, "Oh, spinach shaming." <laughs> spinach shaming. <laughs> are you spinach shaming? Yes, you are. Oh. <laughs> because of course, spinach is the classic, classic. dioxalate. Right, classic. Okay, yeah. so if we don't just really tell folks what these things are, they're going to just start sending me emails and just <laughs> turning us off. Because right. so you explain to us, please, like we're a young child or a golden retriever. That's the way we like to do it here. Hey, by the way, my dear, <laughs> could we get you to dip your camera down a bit? Because I'm kind of losing you on the bottom there. That oh, there, 
That looks better. better. Yeah, that's a girl. That is good. So, I yeah, like we're a young child or a golden retriever. And tell us what an oxalate is. And after that, then we're going to find out why we get them. What are these little things? Okay, darlings. Well, <laughs> there's this little tiny chemical that gets used as a cleaner hmm. called oxalic acid. That's the parent compound. Now, you can buy this stuff to clean the rust out of your engine, take the rust off your patio. It's been used in industry since the 1700s to prepare cottons for uh, dyeing and, and used in bleaching and cleaning. It was part of cleaning solutions from way back in the day. This oxalic acid is a cleaner because it's got a lot of oxygen on it. And it is an acid that chelates or grabs minerals. So it can grab that iron that's the rust stain in your patio and lift it because it very tightly grabs minerals. It loves calcium. It forms calcium oxalate molecules that come together and create these little stones or these little crystals that it can be very pretty or can grow up to become an aggregate called a kidney stone. And these, and the acid gets into your body, into your blood, starts managing to tie up minerals of all kinds, magnesium, calcium, iron, you name it, can settle in on cell membranes, cause lots of trouble through mineral and electrolyte upset, through damage to the immune system, damage to the vascular system, and then can set up these little kidney stone-like crystals in your thyroid gland, anywhere. It loves the calcium. So a lot of it ends up in the bones and the bone marrow. So yeah, oxalates are called oxalates plural because the oxalic acid can be in multiple forms of either a single or negative positive char negative charge. It can turn into various complexes with minerals and then it can turn into these bigger crystals in the body. So we oxalic acid becomes oxalates, this chelating thing that's connected to minerals and starts forming crystals in nature, including in your body. I almost know what it is now. That's pretty good. And I like the yeah. way you, I like the way you did that. So these oxalates, if I understand, plants create them, many plants create them, or actually Dr. Chafee said on my show last week, you know, Dr. Chafee, do you know him? He's a carnivore guy. Um, yeah, we ought to connect. To yeah, he's, I think you'll like him. He was great. And down in Australia, he said that every plants create chemicals and some kind of stuff, even other than oxalates, so they don't get eaten. Is that your understanding too? Very true, very true. He's Ooh. so right about that. Thousands of chemicals, not all of them we know. Even some of the ones we think now are pretending they're good for us. <laughs> the tannins are well known to be terrible for us, but now we're calling them polyphenols and saying that they're nutrients when in fact they're, their major action is, is anti-nutrient and is sort of a harmful effect. I spent, oh man, years digging up information about plant anti-nutrients as they're sometimes called these plant chemicals that can harm us all what the literature taught me is that they're all going to harm your gut all yeah. of them all thousands of them but the top 15 of them one of their major effects is damage to the intestinal tract and stomach so you know that's our entry to the world that's our main barrier that protects us from the outer world and the inner world that's also where your immune system lives, your nervous system lives. It's like the gut, there's something, you know, when you get a gut punch, that's a, 
a term that says it's something that hits guts you, gets you in the gut. In the gut this yeah. is serious business. Like they're really going after you. And that's what the plants are doing. <laughs> they have the power to really harm our digestive system, which is quite serious. So plants, if they did not make these chemicals, they would not be on the planet. They would just have been eaten away and be completely extinct. And you know, we all know in our hearts that you wouldn't let a child eat the bushes. All right. You couldn't go in the woods and survive on the random plants in the woods or even out into a beautiful golden meadow. How long are you going to be able to survive eating meadow plants? You're not going to be able to even digest them, All let right. alone tolerate them. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. So these oxalates, and they, they build up over time. So if we've been eating our vegetables, like we've been told <laughs> our whole life, they build up. Why doesn't the body... The body's pretty clever, Sally, Kay, Norton. Oh, yeah. Why doesn't the body just get rid of them? I mean, come on. We are designed to handle a certain amount of oxalic acid and oxalates forming in the body. We're equipped to handle maybe 200 milligrams of oxalate a day in our diet. Mm -hmm. In theory, according to some excellent researcher, there's a set of three researchers that have worked together for their whole careers. They're beginning to retire now. Um, and they tell us that, that we can probably tolerate about 12 milligrams of oxalate getting into the blood, which translates to maybe at best 200 milligrams in our food. Now, a spinach salad with just a cup of spinach has probably got 350 milligrams of oxalate. Whoa. So we're, the foods that we favor right now tend to be like that. Spinach being one of the worst. The one that's worse than spinach would be chard, red stem chard and beet greens, which is essentially the same food, even worse than spinach. Uh, nuts are particularly bad, especially yeah. almonds, cashews, and peanuts. They have what we call bioavailable oxalate, meaning it easily goes from your gut into your bloodstream. Uh, and we're we're just, these are novel foods, by the way. This is the other thing about these foods that are particularly high in oxalate, which include the nuts, potatoes, sweet potatoes, spinach chard, uh, Swiss chard, and um, beet greens. And then there's things like buckwheat, quinoa, these sort of modern, uh, they're now modern. The new guys, the, the, the anti-gluten Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. if you want a low-gluten diet and you're likely to adopt more nuts, you're likely to adopt the quinoa, the buckwheat or something. I used to, because I sure. was... Clearly, I had in graduate school, it became obvious to me that it wasn't wheat wasn't agreeing with me. So I started buying soba noodles, which is a buckwheat noodle they have in Japan. So there comes more oxalate. And because I couldn't eat the wheat, I was using sweet potatoes for starch and, and breakfast and things because I couldn't eat wheat or beans anymore. The beans are full of lectins if they're not soaked for four days and then cooked like at pressure cooking yes, kind of temperatures. Mm -hmm. So I ruined my gut back in 1990. That summer I was doing slow cooked beans. Genius. I, you know, I have a degree in nutrition from Cornell and I'm stupid enough to slow cook beans and allow the lectins along with the oxalates because regular beans like black beans, white beans, great Northern beans, these beans are also very high in oxalate. So what do I know? I'm just from Cornell. So I'm <laughs> lectining and oxalating myself into oblivion and created a <laughs> permanent gut damage. Well, you know, it must be, of course, we're all so different and unique and have different karma, dharma baby, you know what I mean? So, so obviously some some folks can do better with them than others, right? I mean, you got hit early, sure. probably just because God wanted you to do this. You know, that's my theory, but don't get me started with that. 
<laughs> Sally, go ahead. Well, Just... one of the ways God started working on me is that I probably had something going on as a fetus. And then as a child, mm -hmm. I had this series of strep infections, which is actually, if you got a series of infections, that may be a sign that you have immune damage from oxalates and other plant chemicals, but hmm. it only takes uh, an hour, less than that, 40 minutes, according to research done at the University of Alabama, 40 minutes after a spinach smoothie, you've damaged your immune cells. Wow. And now they're putting out pro-inflammatory, their little mitochondria and their cell structures are all unhappy and crying within 40 minutes of a single spinach smoothie. So those same immune cells are going to have a hard time with strep infections and other things. So as a child, I had um, liquid penicillin on, on a spoon, which is a nasty experience and ended up losing my thyroid. I mean, my tonsils at age five along with my sister who was uh, four and three and a half at this. So we were little girls getting our, having surgery that was traumatic because we were having strep that never responded well to all this penicillin. So here we are hmm. already having infections, being raised on rhubarb and beet greens and healthy foods and getting our tonsils out and nobody knows there's a connection. So the antibiotics really mess up your microbiome in your gut and increase your possibility of high high absorption of oxalate and low less ability to get rid of oxalate because the certain bacteria in the gut help you excrete or release oxalate from the body and when they're gone it lowers your ability to release oxalate ah, interesting sally k norton is with us and we're gonna have fun this morning and you can join us triple eight six six three sixty three eighty six email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Okay, so six weeks ago, I go back there, I watch your little interview, then I go to your website, so it's still online now, it's four in the morning, and I, well, I'm up, so what's the heck, you know? And then I get your little list of beginner's guide to undoing oxalate overload, right? And then I'm looking at all the high oxalate foods, and Sally Kay, this is my diet. I mean, I eat spinach twice a week. Oh. I eat chard twice a week. Uh, almonds, I've been eating almonds every day for 10 years, 10 almonds soaked, right? Mm. So, I mean, I was just an oxalate guy. I mean, black beans, I've done a few of those. And then a baked potato, like at least twice a week, right? At least twice a week, baked potato. So I'm looking at, and then green tea, I do green tea, I did black pepper, turmeric, I was a crazy turmeric person. I mean, it's good for you, right? Turmeric, just take more. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, what can I say? So all these high oxalate foods, and I'm going, man, there's got to be something to this. Maybe this is why I'm not sleeping, right? So six weeks ago, I just said, no more. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I won't do pasta and starch and lectin thing and just put that too. So then I did, I said, okay, I'm going to do that too. And I did this overnight, Sally. I said, okay, I'm done. And then I said, well, what am I going to eat? So I eat meat. So that's what I eat, meat and butter and eggs. And, you know, that's what I eat right now. So... I've been decisive doing decisive thinkers. Decisive like thinkers. But so then I hear you talk about you should really go slow because, you know, this oxalate detox could really whack you. But you know what? I haven't I've never I haven't felt anything but good since I've done it. So what's up with that? I was how does that Welcome you, to the honeymoon, Patrick. Oh, okay. So you're telling me that I'm, <laughs> Okay. Go on. Beautiful time. And I have had people come to me after three years on a full carnivore diet before they started having this excretion problem where the body is now vigorous and ready to 
unload, unburden itself from these accumulated oxalates that are definitely in your thyroid gland, definitely in your bones and bone marrow, definitely in your joint tissues and messing up your brain. The, the body's like so wanting to be gone. Uh -huh. But I, I think we don't really know why there's this variable picture of how soon the body starts Dealing trying with to excrete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And excretes through what, uh, Sally? Uh, kidney, urine, uh, feces? All? That's the primary route out is the urine. Mm -hmm. Like they estimate that the, on average, 90% of the oxalate's going to come out through the poor kidneys. This is a terrible job to have. <laughs> And through the urine. And some people end up with urinary tract problems because it's way too much all the time. The immune system inside the bladder starts to become hyper reactive. These crystals are forming in the urine as the urine's being made. Mm. There's a so small subset of humans who get kidney stones from this process, like mm -hmm. 12 to 15, maybe even 20% if you really push the oxalates. But a lot of us can pee out oxalates like crazy and not have kidney stones. I'm certainly good at it. I have a cloudy urine a lot. That cloudy urine is the calcium oxalate crystals refracting light. And so that means if you see the cloudy urine, there's enough oxalate in there and they're clumping a little bit so that and there's a lot there. So you can see sometimes if there's cloudy urine there and that can help you know that your body's able to and is releasing oxalate through the urine. Interesting. I wonder, do people, could you take a urine test and see how much oxalate you're getting rid of? Well, this is a big issue, right? Like, how do we tell <laughs> you, what's going on? Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice to do a test? The urine is a spot check of what's happening at that moment, and the body is in the background doing all kinds of management that we don't understand. Yeah. So it takes nine urine tests to guesstimate the average amount of oxalate that you're able to excrete. Nine? Oh. Uh, nine. It takes according to medical literature, but yeah. you have to dig and read enough to notice that. Um, to hear that truth coming out from people who ask the question, like, how do we know what the average amount of oxalate you're able to excrete? And able to excrete is an important caveat, because if you have been damaging your kidneys with high oxalate foods and or NSAID drugs or other pharmaceuticals, et cetera, toxic exposures of other environmental types, you may lose your ability to adequately excrete oxalate. So the sicker your kidneys are, the, the less oxalate will be in your urine. So you could get a normal oxalate level from the urine. That's no proof that you don't have an oxalate problem. Well, that's not fair. Who, who, who jumped that one up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like, we expect a test. We want a test. We want a test. single, right. cheap, quick yeah. test to yeah. tell us. Give me a yes or no, and just get on and move on, right? But that's not how reality works. You know, and we're dependent on tests. Most illnesses are pretty silent until you get a blood pressure cuff or take some blood work or get a tissue sample or get so sick that it becomes obvious. But the early stages and even pretty close to the end stage, you can be running around with stage four cancer and not know it. Hmm. And any other disease you can think of. And that's also true with toxicity diseases, especially something like oxalate, where all the problems that it causes are starting to become so common. We just think they're normal part of aging. Yeah. Um, Dr. Chafee was, was musing that he, th he felt like all of these diseases are simply a toxicity issue that catch up with us. 
It seems like that's, I, I think that's where we're going, isn't it, Sally? Kaylin? 100%. This is exactly Whoa. one of the points I make in my book. Initially, I wrote a whole chapter about how deficiency and toxicity are the root causes of all pain, suffering, and disease. Wow. 100%. He's, he and I are completely tight on that opinion. And what's the name of your book? Toxic Superfoods. Toxic Superfoods. <laughs> Because look, your diet was loaded with good stuff like chard, spinach, nuts, uh, almonds, tea. right? Yeah, green yeah. tea. I mean, come on, what's not you know? What's up with that? What's not to love about these superfoods that you were living on? That and probably even, even your baked sleep. potato with uh, tons of butter. I mean, come on, how can that be not oh, a good food? Pleasures. How can that not be a good? Food? So uh, okay, let's do a break and then want to kind of dig into uh, the the amounts and 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 all of that. And, uh, Okay, so stay right there. Sally uh, K. Norton, Patrick Timpone, uh, OneRadioNetwork.com. What a trip, huh? I, t I tell you. They didn't put this in the fine print when I signed up to be here. I don't know. Uh, did I miss that part? You know, to, I said to God, well, what about this nutrition thing? What am I going to eat? And God said, just go ahead and eat. You'll figure it out. Okay, uh, this is what, <laughs> you'll figure it out. And we are, right? We're figuring it out. It gets a little strange, but we're figuring it out. For my first meal of the day, I like to make a blended drink, and I'm always basing my blended drinks around colostrum. Colostrum adds so much creamy flavor and texture that if you don't have it, smoothies start to seem a little bit watery to me. Now I'm gonna be combining it with a bunch of other ingredients, but it really is the all-star. Colostrum has so many health benefits. Probably it's best known for its effects on the immune system. There's actually an article in PubMed showing colostrum to be three times more effective against flu and flu symptoms than flu vaccines are, even in high-risk patients. It's incredible for fighting flu and other viral type infections. It's also really good for building lean muscle mass. In fact, it contains all 89 of the known mammalian growth factors. It's also very good for the gut lining. So people who suffer from things like Crohn's, IBS, uh, leaky gut syndrome. A lot of those folks are using colostrum in the regenerative process to heal and restore their gut lining. And one of the things I love about it is that it's a complete food. So colostrum contains everything a mammal needs to thrive. It contains all of the essential amino acids. It contains all of the essential lipids or fats. It contains all of the essential glyconutrients. Those are essential sugars that we need for our immune function. So it's got all of that and all those growth factors, which means this is really a complete food for human beings or for any other mammals. tastes great. It's got the fuel I need to get through the day, and it's got all those added health benefits thanks to the colostrum too. It's a great company. I've known Daniel for uh, many moon come Choctaw, about 12 years, and great guy. He has a colostrum, different flavors, vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, and the original, and then also shaga and reishi, uh, the uh, little magic mushrooms things in the, in the uh, tinctures. Pine pollen, of course, that we take all the time. It's just a pollen from the trees. I'm not going to test and see if they have oxalates because then I'll quit taking it. So I'm just not going to do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a great company. Uh, Daniel Vitalis, Sir Thrival, OneRadioNetwork.com. As you know, if you don't watch television, that the financial system is screwed up. Um, uh, but if you watch TV, you don't know that because um, it's the Russians 
that's the Russians' problem. But it's not really. The problem is, is that the central bank has been uh, printing about $5 trillion in the last uh, year. They didn't tell you that. They don't tell you that. And that's where all this money comes from. You see, you see, that's where it comes from. So when Joe Biden decided he wanted to send you a $500 check last year, thanks, Joe, uh, what he does is he borrows the money from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which is a private bank. They create the money on a computer and loan it to us, the people, and we pay them back with interest. You like that deal? Well, that's the way it works. And that's why uh, prices are rising quite, uh, that's, just what, that's what inflation is. So there's about $5 trillion more dollars running around out there chasing the same amount of goods uh, from two years ago, and that's what inflation is. It's very simple. The Russians didn't do it. COVID didn't do it. It's uh, money printing by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, which, by the way, is owned by Goldman Sachs and these other people, but don't get me started. Now, um, if you would like to hedge <laughs> against that, all you have to do is get some gold and silver. See, that's the only really money that's available. Um, um, Article 2, Section 10, Section 8, let no state make gold and silver uh, other than a payment of debt. That's what the Founding Fathers said about 25 years ago. Gold and silver was the only money. To this day, it's the only legal currency there is. The dollars are just made up. The yen is just made up. The yuan is just made up. They just print them, and we are suckers, and we use them. So what can I tell you? So get some gold and silver. Call Fred, 888-800-878-2646. Put some in your underwear drawer, and then if this thing falls down and goes boom, the dollar will even get uh, weaker. It's very strong right now, but the dollar will get uh, weak, and then gold and silver will go up in price, and then you can hedge against inflation. That's, that's how we do it around here. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is One OneRadioNetwork.com. We're with Sally Kane Norton, and her new book is coming out very soon. I got a couple of chapters called Toxic Superfoods, right? Toxic Superfoods. Right. When's it come out? When's the book come out? December. Oh. December 27, it's being held for the big moment when the media loves to talk about your waistline and your ah. sloppy habits during the holidays. I now see. we have to get healthy. So this will be a whole new wrinkle in the health conversation in January. So it's you like, heard mm, it doesn't really fit the old idea. So no. we'll see how it goes. So you heard me talking about the money. I studied the monetary system for 25 years. So I know how this thing works. And isn't it something that almost everything they tell us on television is not true? I mean, how did we where did we get how did we get here? How did we get it's here? It's really stunning. It's once you start seeing all of this, it, oxalate alone is enough to make you realize you can look back at what we do as like the separate space. Like, look at these people around me doing these things that are hurting themselves yeah, and can't, yeah. can't see the forest for the trees. But just, the, just this major idea that so much plant life, or maybe all of it, that maybe we weren't even made to eat this stuff and maybe, maybe we are carnivores deep down in our DNA. Do you think we are? I do think that we're hunters. That we, That's what makes us so smart we've been doing hunting for a long time we've we were good scavengers something allowed us to think and develop our brains and uh, this this hunting was key to our ability to survive if you think about how for all of history for millions of years human beings did not have air conditioning mm -hmm. central air yeah. carpeting in houses <laughs> right, right. you're just out there in nature's wild unpredictable <laughs> we were just way out there 
just out there having kids and, you know, no Gerber, anything anywhere to be found. And we were doing great. We, the fact that we got this far and now we've dominated the planet uh, is telling. And m- during all that time of survival and thriving and conquering the planet, we're mostly living on things like woolly mammoth and buffalo. We were, that's what we were doing. Yeah, yeah. So when did we, do you know when we started really getting, eating a lot of corn and wheat and stuff like that, when that was? Are you into that? Well, there's, you know, about 10 to 12,000 years ago, we started domesticating and, you know, taming. We we could, like in a canoe, you can bat the wild rice into your canoe with a stick, you know, and start get a canoe full of rice. And that's a big project. But if you can figure out how to like domesticate and figure out you can, take a little space of land and plant it. I mean, that was a pretty big, bad idea. The the Egyptians are a great example of a society that tried to live on a wheat-based diet, and they were quite sick, those guys. A lot of arthritis and problems, early death, you know, because they didn't have vitamins and minerals yet. You know, they didn't know about nutrients the way we do now. There's no way to supplement for the lack of nutrients in wheat, and all the inflammatory reactions to a wheat-based diet was, you know, arthritis, and heart disease were very common. And there's many, many mummies that show that. Hmm, mummies and daddies? Mummies and daddies? Mummies and dead, <laughs> dead mummies. So, so, so let's look at the oxalate things in these foods. So give us an idea. And you say there's been some real good research that you have trusted and learned over these many years of how many oxalates the body can deal with. Do we know, like per day, without storing them? Do we know that? Well, there is a, a handful of articles. There was some really clever stuff done in the 1960s and then repeated hmm. with a clever study by a gal named Susan Marengo. And her work is she decided to have a family and didn't stay in the lab doing uh, what you have to do to trace oxalate and where it's going in the body. You have to use animals because you have to make it uh, radioactive. So hmm. you use radioactive oxalate and you, you can put it into the body to simulate your diet. And so you can only keep radioactive rats around for so long. So it has to be short, like two to three week studies. But you don't want to go in checking on your radioactive rats every day and night in and out while you're trying to raise a family. So she moved past and people don't pick up on other people's research necessarily. So this hasn't been studied by huge numbers of people and redone. But we've seen, I know of about five studies since the 1960s when this first theory came forward. And it's called the trigger and maintenance theory. Hmm. So trigger and maintenance tells us that if you eat a dose, that's what we call a trigger dose. That means you're going to stimulate new deposits forming in your body somewhere, maybe your thyroid gland. If you eat something that's akin to like three ounces of chocolate or half a spinach or maybe three bites of spinach salad, that's a trigger dose. And then if you just have, you know, a little bit of a, a couple French fries, like just two and, you know, a couple of little bits of the here and there, you're eating enough oxalate to maintain that new deposit. So you just need occasional triggers and you need some maintenance for like f- a week in a row. You need to have a few days where you're eating a little maintenance dose to keep those deposits forming. And when you're in a trigger, most of us are eating past the basic trigger dose. We're eating more than just a few ounces of chocolate. Nowadays, it's so possible to live on buckwheat, quinoa, almonds, spinach, 
and, and so on, these high oxalate foods, you could be in what I call the danger zone. So the danger zone, you're loading up oxalate to a level where you're damaging tissues, you're damaging your immune system constantly, and you're putting yourself in, in great harm for serious health problems, even a stroke or heart attack. No, that's not good. That's not good. No. That's not good. So, um, so your, your, your list here, for example, you have Swiss chard, spinach, beet greens, and beets. And okra, Th those are all my favorite foods, by the way. I, all of those. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All you unlucky man. Oh, all, oh, oh, yeah, I got them all, baby. I went right, right for it. And the white <laughs> potatoes and, and uh, so, so these things containing these oxalates, if, if you're eating way, way down on the, on the oxalate list, you know, you can go in and see real low and then real high ones. Do you eat those, and do you, do you think we should even give up those, like the, the real low and the totem pole oxalate list? Well, my favorite thing is not telling people how to eat, right. which is why I stayed in academia and did <laughs> public right. health work, because I wouldn't have to face somebody face-to-face -face and say, you should do this, you should do that. But what you have to do is start respecting your biology and listening to your body and really understanding, A, you really need animal fats and animal protein. Sure. We're we're raised on that as a species. So if, you, if you're not willing to include some animal fat and animal protein, then you're gonna have a harder time because what's left over in the low oxalate foods is you're gonna try to live on cabbage and white rice and you know a few nori rolls or something. You're it's just, not gonna you're get it. Yeah, that's not gonna, not get gonna it. cover what you need. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But some people can do that. So if you're a vegan and you're having ankle pain or headaches or malaise or fatigue or neck pain or anxiety, you need to be thinking about your high oxalate foods and you can move to these low oxalate vegetables. And what your body will start letting you know that maybe too much, a lot of the low oxalate vegetables are in a group called the cabbage family. In fact, I would guess close to a third of the produce in the, in the grocery store is in the cabbage family. Hmm. Huge amount of vitamin of, of vegetables are cabbage family vegetables like arugula, broccoli, cauliflower, turnip, rutabaga, uh, just tons of them, kale, of course. Um, and so those are a little hard. You really need to cook them well, and you can only eat them in, in so many, so much, because it starts to become a real problem to digest. And it has its other possibilities for toxicity, of course. Even a low oxalate food can have other plant toxins or other problems. So I personally, I my body prefers a mostly meat diet. And a lot of us, this is an interesting situation right now. There is a strong message out there that you should eat plant-based eating, either vegetarian or vegan. And right. then there's this new department in the sort of the paleo world where we're thinking, well, our ancestral health was not a bread and muffins and pancakes and cornflakes. We were out there fishing and hunting and eating these things. And at paleo world, there's a subset in the paleo world that's recognizing, well, yes, we were hunting, mostly hunting. Nobody made almond muffins. <laughs> oh, come on. And unfortunately, like the paleo cookbooks <laughs> might send you over to more sweet potatoes and more nuts right. because people want these starches and they want to have imitation brownies or whatever. Uh, and that's getting people in trouble. So the even going, quote, paleo and the way these cookbooks are sending you, you could end up on a Hoxley diet. But a real paleo diet is more of a carnivore diet that's 70 to 90 to 100 percent meat, which is a very bizarre idea to people. But so the Oxley sort of bridges these worlds. 
you can you can be on either end and you can do a low oxalate diet and still have your diet style but the key thing to do the right thing you have to listen to your body and if your body says well i don't like cabbage family vegetables then quit eating them uh, and yeah. listen to what because you're going to have a certain amount of idiosyncratic reactivity if you've had a long-term high oxalate diet chances are you've damaged your immune system enough that you have some form of immune reactivity where you have either mast cell disorder or interstitial cystitis or lots of allergies and reactivity i'm one of those people i'm reacting to lots of foods and so i prefer a meat-based diet but i'm probably allergic to chicken and certain fishes and probably even beef i'm real this is a new revelation to me to have to admit that i'm probably having a lots of inflammatory reactions to even beef so there's no one diet for everybody because we're all so damaged <laughs> you're gonna have to pick your way through the rubble of what's going on with your health with the way we live now and find a path to nutrition that supports the recovery of your vitality, the recovery of your nutrient status, and stops poisoning you. Yeah, well said. So when we say that we're all challenged, pretty much all Americans have something going on. You could probably get 100 people in a room and say, and I think all of them would say something, right? Like, I don't know, knee pain, or I don't sleep, or I got a thyroid, or my stomach, or I heartburn, or, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so on a, on a one to 10, 10 being the most confident, and this is a tough question, but I like to ask them. Um, so what, what do you think the number would be that these 100 people that oxalates are contributing to some of these little things that they raise their hand and tell you about? Well, if you had asked me that question six years ago, I would have said, you know, four. Okay. If you'd asked me this question four years ago, I would have said 35. <laughs> now that you're asking me now, I'm probably going to say 98. Really? Really? Wow. How can that be? This is what we all eat. That's why we're all sick. We're all eating the same bad choices. <laughs> wow. That's a trip, isn't it, when you think about it on a big oh scale? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like... It's, it's a big deal. It is really mind-blowing. Yeah. And this... Um, we, human beings want confirmation all the time. We we constantly want somebody to reassure us that this is the way things ought to be. And we're group thinkers. And this is so outside of the group think box that it just continues to be. Some people, it just bounces off our brains. We cannot really absorb and understand and right. recognize the ramifications. It's too big that most of us, except crazy people like you and I, and our, our, a lot of our listeners, we, they don't want to go there, right? They just don't want. No, I, no, no. I, no, no. I'm no. no, no. I'm good. No thanks. Forget I'm, it. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. So therefore, there are. That's all fine. Those 100 There's people. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Like, oh, my shoulder's killing me, but oh, it's no. I don't have any real problems. I'm fine. I don't need that. Right. I, don't, my, right. I can't lift my shoulder. Oh no, I don't have any problems. You know. So there's this denial going on about the degree to which we are struggling um, because change anything changing your mind or changing your behavior neither of those are too popular with humans <laughs> no, no we humans don't like to do that you know wow amazing just amazing um and then thyroid thyroid is like massive i mean it's like an epidemic in our culture right everybody has is. thyroid issues and do you think that oxalates are part and parcel of this yeah for sure the, the um 
the few studies there are out there over time, it seems to increase like how many cadaver samples have these crystals in the thyroid gland. And it's up to like at least 85% of everyone over 50 probably has thyroid oxalate crystals. They, oh, they've this cut them open good. and actually found them. In the, in the yeah. Th- and finding them is not easy, by the way. Hmm. First of all, you're working with a sample, a tissue sample that came out of a body at some point. It might've come out of a cadaver. And so right away, when a person dies or a tissue sample is pulled away from its blood flow, the tissue starts degenerating and the tissue, the cells fall apart and produce acid, and that can dissolve some of the crystals that are there. So it's easy to miss them. Also, when you slice a little piece of thyroid to make a little thin sample to look at under a microscope, you can slice away the crystal. It just moves with the knife. And you Whoa. don't find a crystal. It's very easy to miss the crystals and the deposits. And not all the crystal, not all the oxalates that are in our tissues are crystals. Some of them are, well, first of all, a lot of them are nano crystals, which is way below the wavelength of light sides. They're so little that you can't see them with microscopy. And the others are these lipid crystals, which are forming in lipid molecules. We're down at the molecular level. You can't necessarily see them. So even with all these difficulties where you need to stain it, you need to prepare it properly, not slice away the crystals. You have to stain it properly. You have to use polarized light and you have to know what you're looking at. You have to know that this is this kind of crystal. It takes so much skill. It's amazing that 85% of those thyroid glands, they found these crystals. 85%. That they've, mm-hmm. it's amazing that they even found them, right? What it's just, amazing they even could find them, and that's scary because they're these deposits are pretty huge, if and not so huge that they're getting cut away. But um, that should stop and cause interest, just like the expansion of the autism problem should stop and cause interest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's a ho hum. Oh well. Yeah. Something else. Oh well. Yawn yeah. yawn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so um. I have found a little improvement in my sleep, but this has been going on for 20 years, so it's probably going to take a little more than six weeks. So, so, but, so there's a good chance, since I know it's not a racing monkey mind thing because of my spiritual practice, uh, that something, you know, if you could just lay there for like four hours and talk to God and not, not tired, something's not working, right? Something in the brain. So I could have a little oxalates in a little brain that want to come out. Yeah, it's surprising uh, how much is in the brain and in the head tissues. Um, Some people will start to notice crystals in their eye if you do get to sleep or if you have either very dry or very wet eyes or moments when the eyes start tearing. Uh, Sometimes there's grit in that. Yeah. And it'll dry on the cheekbones under the eyes. I've seen that on my eyes. Yeah, I've seen that. You see that? So that could be oxalate crystals coming out of the eye glands. Oh, good. Lots of glands around the eyes. (laughs) And the eyes are the surface of the brain, right? Uh, Yes. Yeah. All right. So if the brain has got oxalates to get rid of, where is it going to put it? It's going to send it forward into the eyes, maybe. That's a theory of mine. We don't have research to demonstrate that. We can't actually, we don't have any way to watch oxalate moving through the body and how the body's managing things. But this shows up in our clients and followers where the eye grit and the the morning sleep gets really heavy. I I used to wake up with my eyelids sort of glued together, like the eyelashes were all glued together with grit. Hmm. And I started getting eye styes after I... I uh, went on this low oxalate diet. I've never had them in my life, and I'm 50 years old or more, and just starting to get eye styes. And so that was a that is a common sign of oxalate too much oxalate in the body is eye styes. Um, but you can get 
all this bony material of the face and head and all the circulation that's here delivers a lot of oxalate into the sinuses, the teeth, the jaw, the gums, the saliva glands concentrate oxalate and oxalate definitely crosses into the blood brain barrier so that you can get I have some clients for mine. Clearly they've got head oxalates because their hair will start falling out and they'll get, they'll get rashes and corpuscles and things either on their neck or their under their hair. Um, and we can, some people, so we talked about the urine being the main exit route, but the skin is the biggest the organ skin. of detox. Oh, good. Right. And some people really do shed it through the skin. It's like, again, this is an example of a difference. I'm good with the kidneys. So I don't see like crystals popping out of my body, but a lot of people have sent me the pictures or even the crystals that have been popping out oh, of really? my body. They sent them to you, huh? Yeah, I've had a couple of people mail them to. I have a few people offering to, and I have someone who's interested in, in looking at them and, and documenting them under the microscope, which would be a better way to catalog these. Right. Because we're creating a whole new kind of citizen science here as we share our stories and demonstrate our crystals, and I want to start having a more official way to document them. This is real. I mean, you, it's rock solid. That's how I like to call it. Yeah. Well, you've done <laughs> quite a bit of research on it. Yeah. Rock solid evidence that something's going on. So does the evidence show then that when we stop putting oxalates in, just if just if we want to cut them all off, or if that's what you want to do, or go low, um, that the body starts to get rid of these things, Sally? Yes, there is uh, evidence of that. There's a, a couple of places where you find this in the medical literature. And one of them is cases of severe renal failure, where they finally recognize this person needs to be on a low oxalate diet. And one, one of them I wow. mentioned in my book, wow. where this woman, she, they find they should have told her years ago, you know, that diet contributes to the oxalate in the kidneys and that a sick kidney should not be having to deal with oxalate. So anyone with sick kidneys should be off oxalates as much as possible. Uh, certainly not in these danger zone levels of of consumption of oxalate foods. So she, what they did is they, when she finally went on a low oxalate diet, her she had an elevated oxalate level in her blood, which is really scary because the blood doesn't like oxalate and you, you can't measure oxalate in the blood. The body doesn't leave it there unless it has no, no choice and the kidneys are really failing. So she had an elevated oxalate of, I think it was 10 times normal. And when they put her on the low oxalate diet, that tripled. So now she has 30 times normal amount of oxalate in her blood because she's got on a low oxalate diet. Well, that because she's getting rid of it, it's just moving because it's coming out of the tissues. Wow. And this is under recognized by everyone in medicine. And we see it also in the genetic form of this disease. There is a very rare genetic disease that has many formats in terms of like which genes are affected and how it's happening in the cells but the liver cells are producing way too much oxalate. Oxalate is made in tiny amounts as a byproduct of liver metabolism. The liver cannot detox oxalate, it only makes more. So as the liver and these, these folks are, who have this rare genetic disease, the liver is cranking out the oxalate. And um, when they give them a new liver and new kidney, the oxalate levels go up in the body and usually wipes out the new kidney because now the body can finally get rid of this load. So we see it in those very toxic cases, but you also see it in renal failure. And we see it now in this world that's new, which is that we have enough data now to know how to do a low oxalate diet. It's not the greatest data, but we have data on thousands of foods and it allows us 
more precisely lower our oxalate level to such a degree that the body does release the oxalates pretty readily at some point and a different schedule for each person. Like you aren't there yet. You're probably way too toxic to do it. Your body's so smart to not be doing this clearing yet. You've probably got kidneys loaded with nephrocalcinosis and all kinds of oxalate and your body needs the kidneys to be happier. It needs your vascular system to be happier. So yeah, we have enough case examples and yet it's another ho-hum like let's not bother to study this like we're actually medicine isn't even recognizing the degree to which this accumulation of oxalate in the tissues is normalizing now and going on that is an unrecognized Hmm. phenomenon which i take a whole chapter in my book to in brief like i could have written a whole book on that (laughs) explain it as briefly as i could like running through like okay here's it um to show, you know, this is a real phenomenon that's been documented, but not recognized as really valuable information. Sally K. Norton is with us. Her new book coming out soon is called um, Toxic Superfoods, right? Toxic Superfoods. We've, Toxic all ate, super. we've all eaten superfoods over the years. I don't, I don't even want to see what, well, I'm not, I don't even see what they, what they, God knows what they are. Goji berries, what did we used to do? Uh, when I was, goji uh, yeah, goji berries, uh, cacao, right? Cacao, the chocolate, right? The raw chocolate. Cacao, chia seeds. Chia seeds, that's loaded with oxalates, right? Yep. And chocolate, too, the cacao? Chocolate and cacao, all forms of chocolate, and carob. Carob, too. Oh, good. Carob, too. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> so, what's this? Um, somebody put something on my Facebook page, we were talking about it, that the liver makes a lot of oxalates. Why is the liver making something that's dangerous? Well, in little tiny amounts, the body can handle it. The kidneys are amazing. I mean, think about how much oxalates I've been eating with my sweet potatoes and the kidneys are, are handling it. So the, uh, actually, the, every mitochondria produces free radicals. And they're a signaling molecule that tells the body, oh, make more glutathione and defend yourself because we got to deal with free radicals. And it uses it as an important signaling molecule. So we don't know that there's any particular value in it, but it could be another kind of signaling molecule in these little minute amounts. So these are minute amounts that the liver is making the oxalates in and the body is equipped for that. The most of the this compounds that become oxalate in the body, most of it is actually just vitamin C. And that is not from your body at all. Vitamin C, you can't make vitamin C in your body. It's the C that's in the food you're eating, which it can only come from plant foods primarily. There's traces of C in liver and traces of C in meat that's not overcooked, but you you can't get to the vitamin C levels that are turning into oxalate in the liver or in the tissues generally. That, that change of C into oxalate can happen anywhere. It doesn't need the liver to do it. C degrades into oxalate naturally. Um, so, but they credit that as what we call endogenous production. Mm-hmm. So there's also these um, connective tissues. So if you're breaking down a lot of connective tissue, eating a lot of collagen, this kind of thing, there's more of these precursor amino acids that can be to a little degree, like 2% of them maybe can become oxalate. And it's a very small amount. So yeah, your liver makes a little bit. That does not justify eating way trigger doses <laughs> and danger doses on food. It yeah, makes people no say, sense. Well, my liver's making it, so it's okay to eat them. That's what people are saying. And that's what they're saying. Yeah. That's exactly what they're saying. And that's just another uh, dismissal, an excuse to dismiss and not consider this as uh, useful information to help yourself. Huh. Here's an interesting email. Most of India are all vegans, 
And they should all be dead if she is correct. Oh, most, most of, of India. India. She says most of, here's the email, sorry, I misread it. Most of India and all vegans should all be dead if your guest is correct. Um, some of them feel like they're dead. There's a tremendous health problems in India. India is one of the most unhealthy countries out there. And the minute they got access to our junk foods, the whole country exploded in diabetes and prediabetes. Wow. Their, their health is marginal. They tend to be skinny, frail, old folks, but because they're they're sort of in a way slightly starved for protein and nutrients, there's a certain protection to that. You know, that's what fasting does for us. So it does permit us to like limp along and, and live, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're thriving. Uh, dead is a pretty crummy standard for deciding if something is <laughs> harming you. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a good standard, you know, dead. You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges, Sally K. Norton, is that we have just been eating so poorly, I guess, the last 50 or 100 years that our idea of living and health is so skewed, right? And, uh, you know, people are 16, 70, and they have aches and pains and on meds, and I'm fine, you know, I'm good. And it's not- They're fine, but they have a special chair that lifts them out of their chair. They have a special mattress. They have a special this, a special that. They have canes and crutches and walkers. They need a ramp to get in their house. They have a, a car. They can't walk to the grocery store and carry their own groceries home. They're not actually independent people. They're super dependent, like zoo animals, only worse. And and even, even healthy uh, among those folks, um, you know, I think you have to look at the big picture, too. And are they really- happy? Are they really living the life that they want to be living? Are they really doing what they want to be doing? You know, are they just really jazzed to get up every morning? That's, that's a big deal. So many people struggling with anxiety, with mental fatigue, right. with depression. And I'm just amazed at how many people tell me their lifelong depression and anxiety, especially anxiety, just went away in a week on a low oxalate diet. No kidding. In fact, today I shared another person who shared that with me. And so there's been a go round on my story on Instagram of people sharing this yet again, that the low oxalate diet spared them of anxiety. They spent years in therapy, years thinking something was really wrong with them, years mm. of their family thinking they're just negative people. Right. And all along it was their healthy diet doing it. So the, the these guys, Sally, could leave the brain that quickly to to help people feel better. That's crazy. There's an acute effect on the nervous system right after you eat these mm -hmm. oxalates, and it takes about three or four hours for the amount of oxalate that's in the food to move into the blood, like all the way, because the food is continually being absorbed after you eat it. It takes, you know, 24 hours for food to go from lips to toilet. And there's a process as it moves from the stomach through the small intestines. A lot of the absorption is happening in the stomach and the small intestine. And so about four hours after a meal is when the highest amount will be in the bloodstream. So four hours after a spinach smoothie or a sweet potato or a Swiss chard, you might start having some kind of neurological reaction. You might start getting diarrhea or constipation or hiccups or tremors or twitches or not be able to sleep. And so when you go to bed, say 10 or 11 at night, that might be just four hours after dinner of Swiss chard and potatoes. And it would have been maybe seven hours after a lunch of something else like a spinach salad. And that would have been another 10 hours after you had 
peanut butter on whole wheat toast for breakfast. So by the time dinner or bedtime happens, the amount of oxalate that's in your blood that's harming your nervous system is at its peak. Hmm. So it makes sense that oxalate would mess up your sleep. Yeah, the nervous system. So you're actually talking literally uh, in a physiological level. Um, what's going on in the body? when? What does that mean, nervous system? So the nervous system is... Uh, the brain and all the nerves that tell your muscles what to do. Oh. And these neurons have, in order for them to be smart and electrical, they need their electrolytes on each side of their membranes doing just the thing. And they need to be able to release electrolytes and calcium in the cells to make things happen. So all cells actually use a calcium ion inside them to control what they do. It's a messenger molecule in there that tells the cell, oh, make some, make some neuropeptide, make some neurotransmitters, make some insulin, do this, do that. Don't do this, get this, get me some glucose. Like it, this signature, the signaling molecule that tells the cell membranes to do this or that, or tells the different parts is a calcium molecule. And when oxalates around, that calcium molecule gets trapped or stolen or thieved away by oxalic acid and messes up how the nerves function wow. and they start struggling. It attaches to them and just, they can't do their thing. They can't. The, so you're basically stealing the messenger on the road. Hmm. So if the king sent a messenger on a donkey to the next kingdom to go tell them this, but some highway robbers took the messenger and his donkey, the other kingdom didn't get to hear about the message, the news. And that's what Oxlade's doing. It's basically on the road, robbing all your messengers and screwing up how the cells function and the body starts getting confused. And it also becomes very energy deficient inside the cells and the cells can't even replicate themselves they can't build the protein they can't do their work and they can't have their babies and have new cells come up behind them because the cell doesn't live your whole life the cells have to get replaced and you get all kinds of problems can happen to any cell in the body if it's being poisoned and it does it is being poisoned in your opinion in research when we're putting oxalates in our body through plants in, the, in the, these high doses with these high oxalate high foods, oxalate yeah. foods Little Do, traces of oxalate, you, you don't only, you got to absorb 100% anyway. You're only absorbing about 15% of what you're eating, unless it's a very low dose, then you might absorb uh, 20% if it's a really low dose. But if you have gut inflammation and gut, uh, you know, leaky gut or other, what they call, you know, sort of hyperabsorptive states, you could absorb 70% of the oxalate you're eating. So you don't even have to eat really high oxalate foods if you have leaky gut. And gut inflammation, or if you've had ruin-wide bariatric surgery, you are a hyper absorber. So you're not just absorbing the 15%, you're absorbing maybe 50 or more percent of the oxalate. So there's a lot of different factors that affect your how much oxalate you can eat, how much is toxic to you. Mm -hmm. and, and in your opinion, are the oxalates one of the reasons why there's so many gut issues to begin with? Is I do think they're a major culprit in mm -hmm. uh, gut disorders there's certainly too much oxalates actually kills the bacteria that eat oxalate <laughs> like oh, it's good. bad for your your, <laughs> your your flora and your colon don't like to be poisoned either um and then i you know, oxalate comes along with lectins and other plant mm. molecules that lectins are even worse in my opinion and the two of them together are pretty much a guaranteed gut problem uh story and what are the high lectin foods that would be the undercooked beans and any vegetable that's a fruit, like a tomato and things that have seeds on them, their skin and seeds tend to be high in oxalate. And those lectins can be, unlike oxalate, lectins can be disarmed 
with high, high heat, mm. really high heat. But and with the seeds and beans, you need to soak them first. The, the research suggests three to four days of soaking a bean, which basically it's no longer bean. It's now a sprout. You just don't see the sprout yet. Yeah. Right? It's no longer dormant. It's, it's using up. But when you do that, you liberate the oxalic crystal, the, the acid from the crystals. So those beans are holding on to crystals like most seeds do. And then it breaks down those crystals into oxalic acid. So you increase the oxalic acid, which is the part that gets into your blood. When you soak and ferment things, you can increase it a little bit, but then some ferment, it's like confusing for people. So I won't get too deep into that, but lectins, you can cook the death, you know, in, in India, one of the things that's saving India is they have traditional cooking methods and almost everyone has a little pressure cooker to cook their lentils in. Lentils are a low oxalate, high lectin food that can get you into trouble if you don't cook them properly. So there was recently the story of this vegan food made with lentils, which is a high lectin food. It's a raw crumble thing. I don't know. You're supposed to heat it in oil, but that's not a traditional way to cook lentils. The traditional way is to boil them in water in high heat in a pressure cooker, and that makes them safe. But these new vegan food products aren't using traditional methods of preparation. So you can handle the lectins if you know to not use a slow cooker like I did, but you can't cook the oxalates out. So I don't know if that's answering the question. <laughs> I, I think you, you got there. Sally, stay there. We're going to do another break here. Sally. 